1: Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm my preem Eric Scopel with me on the show as always. And if you're a regular listener to duckterritory.com's Odds and Audibles podcast, it's a double dip day. Uh, Eric and I are recording two podcasts on this Wednesday, November 25th. One was the mailbag, this one is getting you ready for the college basketball season. Officially kicked off today on the men's side. I think the women's side as well. Um, both the men and the women's basketball teams at Oregon, however, don't have games on the 25th. Uh, the men had a game scheduled against Eastern Washington, but that was postponed due to COVID-19. Positive tests with Eastern Washington, and they could not fill out a full roster and was not. they weren't able to guarantee a healthy team. Uh, to play against for the Oregon Ducks. So, this is going to be kind of our preview of the college basketball season. And before we dive into both these teams, I want to remind everyone out there that right now you can subscribe to duckterritory.com. And for an annual membership, you can get that 75% off, $26.85 one time payment. Inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis opinion. Read all the content across the 24 7 Sports Network. And you get an entire year of a membership for $26 and 85 cents. And if you want to compare that to a month to month price, nine 95 for the, for your month to month price at duck right now. So essentially you're paying three months of the month to month payment rate and getting an entire year, huge savings. So, highly encourage you guys to take advantage of that promotion while it lasts on DuckTerritory.com. So our right, Eric, um, a lot of optimism, a lot of excitement, a lot of intrigue for both of these teams. And I threw this poll up a couple of days ago and I just want to, we're going to start with the, the men's team first. Um, but I just want to throw out just kind of some intrigue right now on just the fan base's perspective of, you know, these teams, I threw up a poll. I said, what team from Oregon has the best 2021 season? So football, men's basketball, women's basketball, or softball. 43% of the nearly 750 votes say the women's basketball program is going to have the best season this year in college athletics for the University of Oregon. I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, that kind of surprises me a little bit, and – I, I wonder what that poll would have looked like if we would have conducted it before football started. Sure, because I because when you posted this poll, it was shortly after a pretty disappointing outcome against UC. Obviously, they win the game, but I think some fans are probably a little bummed out there. The men's program lost Peyton. I mean, and the funny thing is, the men's and women are, are in almost identical spots where they've lost these super important, impactful players, but are retooling with really fun rosters back. So I, I'm kind of I'm a little surprised that it was that. Lopsided. I'm probably not surprised the women's team was the pick. What what was the other percentage points for for the other um, for the other options?
1: Yeah. So um, football has 32.4 percent. They are second. The men's basketball team 18.2 percent, and then softball had 5.7. Um, I, I don't know if softball is in the full frontal view right now for the there. Um, yeah. Oregon fan base, and because they're going to be really good. Like even with uh Seavers not being able to play this season. They're they're gonna be a, a top 10, top 15-ish ty- type team this season. Um, but I think A, that speaks to volumes of just how good Oregon athletics in general are, but I also think it's kind of back to you know the women's side where they've got a bunch of five-star freshmen, they've got some really proven players, and they've been king of the pack 12 or queens of the pack 12, I should say. Uh, for the last three or four seasons. So, um, but nonetheless, let's let's shift over to the men's side, in, in which they too have kind of dominated the Pac-12 the last four or five seasons. Uh, you go back the last, I think, five years, Eric, and this is a program where they have either won or uh, a, a share of the regular season title, or outright, or they've won the Pac-12 tournament four of the last five seasons. Uh, under Dana Altman and and the Oregon men's basketball staff. Uh, And nonetheless, I think it's kind of the same expectation in 2020-2021 this season, even with COVID.
0: Part of me wonders if why there were some fans hesitant to pick the men's team is because it's kind of maybe hard to see where the star power is, right? Peyton Pritchard was like the do-everything player last year. Just was was selected in the first round by the Boston Celtics. Pac-12 player of the year. Probably would have broken the school scoring record if they would have had an NCAA tournament. If he wouldn't have, he would have been very, very close. Certainly would have surpassed the two thousand point mark, which he was very close to. Who's the team's leader this year, Matt? Who's the primary ball hander? Who gets the? Who, who's the player that, that they uh, they go to when they need bucket when the game is on the line? Like, I guess that's to me where I start. Of like, and that's probably why I think some fans are not sure, kind of hesitant to pick the men's team to be the the most successful of the bunch. Is like. Who's that star player? Is there one, or do you think it's going to be more evenly distributed this year?
1: Yeah, well, there's not going to be a guy in on this team, at least going into the year, where Oregon is is going to say, hey, go out and score 20 a game like Pritchard did last season. Um, that, that's just not going to be the case. They're not going to have one sole guy that scores a ton of more p- points than everyone else on the roster. Um, I, I think the first two guys, though, that will probably be on the the you know the top two scoring list for this program are the two guys who were second and third on the team last year chris duarte will richardson um will will handle probably the point guard duties he'll share that with amari hardy a a senior transfer graduate transfer from unlv Um, chris can do a little bit of that duarte can do a little bit of ball handling duties if needed um, but I think who handles the point guard role, it's probably going to be, Will. it's probably going to be Amari Hardy. And then any kind of scraps that are out there will probably be thrown to Jalen Terry, the freshman four-star point guard from Flint, Michigan. Um, who is the leader? Who is the, the go-to scorer? Uh, I think it's probably going to be Duarte. It's probably going to be Richardson. Those are going to be your two top guys, uh, from a scoring perspective, um, wouldn't surprise me if Hardy's shortly behind that. He's also a very terrific scorer, was one at UNLV. Leadership. I asked Dan Altman that question last week of just kind of, you know, Peyton was so important from an on-field uh, from an on-court, off-court, you know, leadership standpoint. Who fills that? Has there been anyone out there? And he threw out a bunch of names, but, it, you know, he, he typically went with, you know, Chris Duarte, Eugenio Maria, senior transfer from Rutgers, uh, he threw out Amari Hardy. He also threw out Will Richardson uh, and also Eric Williams. I think it's going to be kind of a, a collective group that handles that vocal leadership, you know, group, I, I guess, role with, with this team. But if you had to tell me one guy, one guy is going to be the leader of this team. I look at this and think it's Will, this is Will's time. This is Will Richardson's time to become a playmaker, become a go-to scorer, and, be, and become kind of the leader of, the, of this team.
0: Up front last year, I think a lot of people before the season started expected in Dante, former five-star recruit, to step in and be the starting center, play a huge role. Instead, he had some eligibility issues, dealt with some health things, played 12 games, but only averaged 13 minutes a game, didn't start a single game all season what what are we hearing there is it feel like this is an you mentioned will being the guy who it's his time to step up as a leader maybe as one of the primary offensive players are we expecting Enfali to be that kind of player too and and I know when he came into the program the expectation or the sense was he would be a if he wasn't a one and done a two and done player with nba upside of, of being a first round pick is that still considered the case or or what's the perspective right now on Enfali I
1: I think the most important thing with Enfali Dante is making sure he's healthy, making sure that this is a guy who you don't overwork him and, and play him 35 minutes a game in the month of November, the month of December and the month of January, and then burn him out by the time, you know, the end of the season gets here. And and all indications are he's healthy. And Dana Altman has said that he's dealt with some tendonitis in his knees. He said, you know, when when young men that are 6 foot 11 250 pounds have huge growth spurts like Enfoldi Dante had earlier in his life when he's when he's so much he's so tall he's so heavy he's going to have some some growing pain, little literally no pun intended growing pains <laughs> and that's kind of what Enfoldi Dante was going through last year he dealt with it a little bit this season they're they're uh, during training camp they're they're I, I would be shocked if if Dante is a guy that comes out and plays, you know, 25 or more minutes a game. One because they don't need him to. They've got a ton of depth on this team. Two, they're going to they're going to ensure that he can play the entire season. And I personally think you're better off getting involved Dante of 20 25 minutes a game and spacing that out over the 27 games that they're going to play. And then risking you know, playing him an extra three or four minutes every game and, and having the opportunity where maybe he needs to take a, a couple games off because his just knees are, 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 are tired from the from the the growing pain issue. Um on the court, Dante, everything seems to be really good. Dane Alman's you know praised him in terms of he's everything that we expected him to be. 6'11", 250 pound, big dude that can move and it's a physical force and dunks on a lot of people really offensively gifted, uh, has made improvements on the defensive side of the, of the court as well, you know, starting to block some shots. And there's a lot of optimism that he could be the best center in, in the Pac-12 conferences here.
0: Oregon has had a player drafted in each of the last four NBA drafts. Obviously, we mentioned Pritchard a second ago going 26 to Boston. Does that trend continue this year? Like, is there a player on this year's roster? And, and it's funny because you look at it and there's a bunch of veteran guys who I think are going to be professional players. But I don't know if I look at them and think, oh, that's a first-round pick. But there are also some players, you mentioned Dante, I think Walt Richardson, maybe Chris Duarte. Like, do we think one of those guys gets drafted? Or kind of what's your perspective on this year's team? Is there a first-rounder on the roster? Like, I mean, it's like, it's what's your perspective in terms of just like the – the elite and an NBA draft potential on this group.
1: Well, I think in Dante could maybe play his way into that first round perspective because we saw some some traditional center type guys get picked last in last week in the draft, um, whether it's first or second round. And NBA teams always seem to love the six foot 11, 250 and fifty pound guy that can move and run. And that's Dante. So, like if he shows up and has the year that we all expect him to, he could be a first round draft pick. Um, I I think Will Richardson is going to be a guy who could be that fringe. It it could really fall on, you know, how does he play in the big stages and, and could he work himself into, um, being a late first? I think he's probably a second round pick if he has the year that we think no matter what, um, that's just kind of his floor, but his ceiling could maybe be, you know, in the twenties from a, a first round draft pick standpoint. Don't know much uh, yet about Chris Duarte. Um, there was some NBA talk last year before he broke his finger, but things fell off and uh, we'll, you know, we'll see where his stock picks up now that the season is being played. But I know Duarte's got a lot of options internationally as well to be able to play, but I don't know if there's a first round guaranteed first rounder, but there are probably two guys that can maybe play their way into that discussion.
0: What should the early season expectations be? And I have but I guess we should note, It's hard to set any expectations because we just don't know which games are actually going to get played. (laughs) Like, is Oregon, I mean, when's Oregon's first game actually going to be played? And we have some ideas of when when they're scheduling games, but like that. So let's just put that aside. But when they do get to start playing, this is a veteran ball club, but it's also a team that really hasn't, for the most part, played a lot together. I mean, we talk about what a possible starting lineup could be. A lot of those guys are guys that were redshirting last year, or like an Envalidante didn't play a lot last year. Even Chris Duarte, who's going to be one of the team's best players, missed. But the last half of conference play with that finger injury, like are we expecting this group to be good right away? And I think this part is probably true regardless of how good they are to start. Dan Altman teams almost, almost always just get better and better as the year goes on and they start to peak right around the NCAA tournament. Do we think it's going to be a team that's kind of a little so-so early and then by the end of you know March or whenever the season ends up closing up? they're really playing at a high level or kind of what's your expectations for just like the trajectory of how a season might play out for, for this team.
1: It's interesting. Um, in a normal year, I think my expectations would be that this team is going to be pretty good out of the jump. Um, but this is not a normal year. We, right. <laughs> I mean, go to go and look at their schedule and we have Eastern Washington listed as postponed for today. And the next game is December 12th against Washington. Um, we, we, we're it's November 25th on a Wednesday and we're waiting on confirmation of a game being scheduled for Oregon on Saturday. And that game could be played at Matthew Nat arena in Eugene, or potentially it could be played in Las Vegas as part of some tournament. Um, that's being put together at last minute. Like that's how crazy this season is going to be from a scheduling standpoint. You don't really know who you're playing three days before that, that, that day, um, and, and the location could, could change. Um, we'll see what happens there, but I, I think going into this season, Dan Altman has said, and I, I know, I don't, I know this, I don't think this, he, he has commented that they took things extremely light in the early part of training camp. They, they did not do a ton of five on five. They didn't do any until you know, about a week and a half, two weeks before the season was supposed to start. Um, just because he didn't want to get some soft tissue injuries, uh, roll ankles, you know, He's more worried about conditioning, more worried about skill development than actual team play and health overall, over over everything. And so I think this year we're going to see a team that's going to look a little sloppy. They're going to look uh, a, a, a little worse than normal early on in the season, and they're going to re- rely strictly on talent to win them these games. And over the course of the year, they're going to get better and better and the key here for Oregon is going to be can you prevent yourself from slipping up and losing a couple games that you have no business losing and therefore hurting your, your NCAA tournament stock? Because if they can do that, if they can avoid that and they can get some, some of these early season wins and they can get some games in and they just find ways to grind out victories, they're going to be one of the better teams in the country at the end of the year if the season gets there. Um, I have no doubt about that. From a talent perspective, they're loaded it's going to be all about developing that chemistry. And it's almost like using these games as just more so of, you know, you want the win, but you also want more of more so of just developing that on court chemistry together. And that's what November and December is going to be like is getting time on the court together and in a live situation and learning to play with each other and hoping you come out with wins.
0: Expectation here, Matt, probably win the conference again, I'd imagine. And if that's the case, what needs to happen for that to take place? And what would it take, I guess, what, what would be the, what, how, what would the scenario be where they fall short of those expectations? Like, what, what, I kind of guess, if you're looking at the season going, like, the singular goal is win the conference. How do they get there? And what, what happens if they don't?
1: Yeah, I, I think the expectation is they win the conference. I mean, that's who they are. That's what they, every year they strive to be. In the last four or five years, um, that's what they've done they've come out and, and they've competed in one conference championships or conference tournament championships. So I think that's the expectation. Um, personally, I voted them as, as preseason favorite. So I think it would be remiss of me to, to go against that. Um, right. So I, I look at this and think there, what, what needs to happen for them to win the conference? Um, they need to stay healthy. First of all, and most importantly, they just need to be able to find something where they have this. They, they have some unique talents. I can follow Dante. I don't think there's anyone in the conference that's going to be able to match up with him. And so you need to be able to exploit that. You've got three really proven guards and Chris Duarte, Will Richardson, and now Amari Hardy. Um, I, I think when you have that, you you need to be able to attack and, and execute that. And I think the, the key here for Oregon is you out of those four guys, you need two or three of them every week or every game to play at a high level. You don't need all four of them to, but you need to be able to be consistent in terms of production with those four. And then I'm forgetting about Eugene uh, Amari, uh, a, a guy that is a, all big 10 caliber player. Was that at Rutgers before he got here. So, I, you throw in those, that, that 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 group of five guys right there. I think that's probably your starting lineup going into the season. We're still waiting on LJ Figueroa. We're still waiting on Aaron Estrada's waivers um, to be cleared out. But and if those guys get cleared, Oregon gets even deeper. Um, but I think that's probably your starting five right now and probably one in which you're just thinking we need three out of those five guys to play consistently high-level good basketball and, and be good to go. And if you do that, you're going to be in a position to win the league. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we'll preview the women's side of the schedule. All right. Welcome back to the Austin Audibles podcast. I am my Premier scope with me as always. And we previewed the men's season. Now let's preview the women in which some of the best players in program history, the best players in program history and in, in all of college basketball are no longer on this team. Sabrina escu is gone. Ruthie Hebert's gone. Satu Sable is gone. Uh, Senior Minyan Moore is gone. Um, They've had a couple players, Morgan Yeager. She gave up basketball at at the college level to go home to Australia. Um, A lot of new faces, uh, a lot of new players. And I think we kind of knew Eric, uh, the style of play that they were going to play. They, they, they weren't juggernauts defensively, but they were, they were sound enough. They were good enough, but it it was always going to be okay. The women's team is going to shoot the lights out from three and, and, they're going to be a really good transition team. They're going to push the tempo kind of like an ode to the Golden State Warriors or the Phoenix Suns of the mid two thousands at the NBA level. And then in the half court set, you know, it it was Sabrina and Ruthie on the pick and roll. And now this season, I kind of look at it and go, what, what's, what's this offense going to look like? What's the system going to look like? What's the strength of this women's team this year?
0: It's a good question, Matt. And I think, start this let's start here offensively kelly graves has said a couple of times including on tuesday evening when he spoke with media members that the offense is going to run through sedona prince and for those of you listening who maybe aren't familiar with that name six foot seven center incredibly talented kelly graves has compared her to Nicola Jokic, uh the starting center for the denver nuggets just in her ability to command an offense and it sounds like true freshman tahina pow pow will be the point guard and she'll be the one initiating offense. But once the ball gets into the half court, it's going to be Sedona probably at the high post orchestrating things. If it's not her at the high post, she'll be at the block drawing double teams and then kicking it out to shooters. I don't think this is going to look exactly like previous Oregon teams. And and the depth there is just incredible. I mean, Kelly, Kelly Graves said yesterday as well, that, you know, they're four days from their first game and that there are still seven to eight players he thinks who could conceivably be starters on this team. And that typically in past years, he's had a really good idea at this point in the year of, of just who those starters are going to be and that he was going to roll with those players, but that's not the case this year. This is a year where he's expecting that they're going to go into the season a little bit here before they really know what the rotation looks like. So I think that's part of it. I think the big strength offensively is the three point shooting. Um, You look at the players they returned from, from last year. Just a bunch of great three-point shooters. Aaron Boley, who Kelly Graves did say, best player on the team thus far through practice. She's been the best, just like the, the most important, integral part of this team. She shot 44% from three last year. She's back. Taylor Chavez, Pac-12 sixth player of the year, shot 47.4%. She's back. Jazz Shelley, 42%. She's back. Um, you look at even the transfer from Maryland, Taylor Mike sell. She shot over forty percent from three as well. She'll be a big part of this team, and that doesn't include the true freshman, Haina Pau, who I mentioned a second ago. She can shoot the crap out of the ball. Sydney Parrish, the same thing. All there's a ton of shooters on this team, and so I think where this team will be dangerous is different than in the past few years, where I think a lot of what you're going to see here is get the ball to Sedona in the in the paint or at the top of the key, and. The defense is going to have to decide, hey, are we going to single? Are we going to just guard her, you know, man up or woman up, I should say. And if we do that, she's probably going to find a way to score. If we don't do that and we double team and we crash on her, she's going to find the open player to hit a three. So, I mean, this offense is definitely going to look different. Um, I think it's going to be fun to kind of see how it all comes together. I think defensively there's a ton of question marks. Um, I don't know if any of these top players are really known as great defensive players. I think Chavez showed a little bit of that last year. Um, but Aaron Bowley certainly isn't known as a defensive stopper. Um, Graves did say Maddie Shear, one of these five-star freshmen, has cemented herself as the best on-ball defender, and that's going to be a role she plays. So I I think there's a lot here from from, from this team, but I I think offensively you're just going to see it be quite a bit different than it was in the past where it was, hey, let's let Sabrina and Satu kind of isolate at the top of the key and and go to work and see what happens. I think it's going to be a little more of let's get the ball in the post to our star center and see what happens from there.
1: So much has been said about the freshman or Sedona Prince, um, but this team brings back Aaron Bowley for a third straight year as a starter. She was Gatorade player of the year, I think, as a freshman, uh, or excuse me, as a high school senior. Yeah. You mentioned Taylor Chavez. You mentioned Jazz Shelley, Lydia Giomi, um, plus Sobley is also back uh, healthy now. Is this the deepest? Maybe it's a little unproven, yes. Um, but is this maybe the deepest team that Kelly Graves has had at Oregon? It feels like they truly could go more than eight or nine deep than in previous years when it was always it felt like the five starters and maybe two or three people off the bench.
0: I think without question, this is the deepest. And and like I said, I mean, they're kind of still debating between seven, eight players as starters. That doesn't include some players that are really talented coming off the bench. Um, You know, I I think they're going to start the season legitimately playing almost every player on the roster, like at least some minutes to kind of see what it looks like to see, because uh, you know, one of the things he said was there just hasn't been separation yet to really differentiate and go, Oh, well, she's not going to play or Oh, she's clearly the better player here. I mean, they've got six legitimate started starting caliber guards. They have up front. I mentioned Prince. You mentioned Naira Sabali, Kylie Watson. It sounds like is going to be a difference maker. Graves said yesterday that she could be the pack best rebounder. If she focuses on that, it was, one of the things he said was like, how you know how you earn a role on this team is just by kind of carving out a niche in some area. And he mentioned Maddie Shear is the best defensive player on the team and that Kylie Watson Watson's the best rebounder on the team. Sedona Prince is the best big player on the team. There's a bunch of great shooters. I think it's going to be a thing where, yeah, I think the depth is one of their biggest strengths this year. And it probably is going to be a season where you expect between Prince Bully and Pow Pow, one of those three players – those are probably the three teams leading scorers is my guess. Those three in some order probably prints the top, but don't be surprised at all to see there be games where somebody else is leading the team in scoring, or it's a, a really, really balanced scoring effort where they've got three to four players scoring 15 to 20 points in a game. So yeah, I think the depth is a huge strength for sure with this group. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see kind of who wins some of these starting jobs, who's in the game at the, who's on the court at the end of the game how all this plays out just because there's, there's a ton of talent. I think nine McDonald's all American players or five-star recruits on this roster, including a couple really good international players. Should be a really fun group to watch, but like from a depth perspective, I don't think it's been matched even on these fantastic teams of the last couple of years.
1: Looking across um, this program and looking at what, what the women are bringing back and what, questions they have to solve because of the departures of Sabrina and Satu Sabli and Ruthie Hebert and Moore. Moore. Well, I guess what's the biggest concern going into this group you feel like that, that they've got to overcome?
0: I think for me, I, I just don't know what they are defensively yet. Um, I, I kind of mentioned it a second ago. I don't think, I mean, last year's team, Satu Saboli is a very good defensive player. Mignon Moore is a very good defensive player. Sabrina, Sabrina was certainly an above, above average defensive player, as was Ruthie Hebert. They have better length and size in this year's team, but none of the players they bring back are like. I think Taylor Chavez is probably the one I would say she could play, play defense. She was very aggressive and, and for, you know, forcing turnovers. But like the rest of the players they bring back aren't necessarily like lockdown defensive players. And I know Aaron Boley's supposedly improved some of her lateral, lateral quickness and athleticism in general. I think that's one of the things Kelly Graves said is she's no longer just a. Spot up shooter. She's going to be a little bit more um, versatile in what she can do. So, so maybe defensively she'll be a little better. But she was a liability the, in the past um, defensively. Well, how how much of a rim protector is Sedona? You know, I think if the comparison is Nikola Jokic, that's a heck of an offensive player, but not a very good defensive player. I mean, it's six seven is really tall, and as Kelly Graves will say, at any chance. She's going to be six foot seven the entire game. And that's going to be different length for Oregon. I mean, that's three inches taller than anyone Oregon really played regularly a year ago. I know they had Lydia Giomi on the team, and she's six six. But I think for this group, it's, it's like, how good can they be defensively? Um, I think the rebounding is something I'm, I'm curious about as well. Um, there is some size there. Kylie Watson is somebody that Graves, like I said earlier, has kind of singled out as a potentially a really, really good rebounder really aggressive and athletic and physical, how much is she going to play? I mean, maybe if she's going to be that kind of a presence as a rebounder, she'll play a lot. Um, I think Niara Saboli, to me, is a bit of a wild card for this team because when she came to Oregon, she was this really athletic kind of quick twitch power forward who could take players off the dribble and win battles around the basket, and she's very physically put together and, and could be a really kind of an enforcer because of that. How is she, How you know, she's, she's had real problems with her knees two consecutive years out with an ACL injury. Where is she at from a health perspective? Is she going to be a difference maker like we expect her to be? And when she came to Oregon, there were some rumblings that she was going to be just as good, if not maybe a little better than Satsu. Is that still, is that even reasonable to expect her to be close to that level? So I think for me, it's defense and rebounding. I think the offensive stuff is going to be great. And I think it's going to be probably pretty good from the get-go. Obviously you can expect some, some ups and downs early. they've had it's been a bizarre offseason. They haven't really had too many opportunities to to practice five on five, but it's to me, it's the little things. How are they going to be defensively and how do they rebound?
1: Oregon had three of the nation's best players the last three years in um, Sato, Sabrina, and Ruthie. Is there anyone on this roster you feel like that could reach that level? I'm not saying the best player in the country, or the second best player in the country, but just be in that discussion. Is that player even possible?
0: Sedona's probably the one with the highest ceiling I would think. And I think Tahina pow Pow could be like a kind of sneaky bet to be one of the best freshmen nationally. And and certainly there are some really, really good freshmen and there's some really, really good individual players. I know Kentucky is Ryan Howard is someone, um, you know, the conference Ari McDonald at Arizona is a big name to know. Um, Connecticut and South Carolina have extremely talented rosters, as does Stanford. But I I think Prince is the player who, if she reaches her ceiling, she could be the best big player in the Pac-12 and maybe the best center nationally. I don't think Oregon's going to win, you know, national player of the year. Probably won't win Pac-12 player of the year unless they just dominate conference play, which could happen, right? I mean, that's not totally – it's a really talented roster, but just a lot lot, um, to replace. My instinct is they probably won't win the conference. They probably don't have the Pac-12 player of the year on the, on the roster. If they do, it's Sedona Prince. They probably don't have a first or second team All-American unless it's Sedona Prince. Um, and, maybe, and maybe I'm underselling Aaron Boley, who Kelly Graves, again, has said is the best player on the team, when he's also raved about Tina Pow and raved about Sedona Prince. So I don't think I have anybody quite at that level. Like I'm not expecting them to, to, to sweep some of these National Players of the Year honors like they have the last couple of years but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, people are talking about Sedona and Tahina and maybe Aaron Boley in that conversation. It was like three of the best 25 players in the country kind of thing.
1: All right. Let's wrap this up with this question. Just kind of, what do you feel like the floor of this team is and the ceiling of this team? The expectations for the program, in the last three years has been get to the final four. And then from there win a you know a four-team tournament and see if you can win an national championship. Is it the same expectation this year, even though there's so much roster turnover? Uh, and and I guess what's kind of the you know the bare minimum you you would expect from this team and what's kind of you know the potential that they could grow to become?
0: Well, I asked both Taylor Chavez and Sedona so Prince that question on Tuesday. And they both said that the, the, you know the expectations and goals don't change. They still want to win the conference championship. I think that right there is the one that they probably have the most likely opportunity to do. Right? I think I think they'll probably at the very least challenge for that. I don't know if they're going to win it. Stanford's super talented. Arizona's super talented. UCLA and Oregon State bring back a lot and are very talented too. Um, there's a reason Oregon was not picked to win the conference this year. It's not just because they were they bring back so many there's so many players to replace it's also the fact of the matter is there's a lot of talented players in this conference so i think that's part of it but and and so like even if i think they win the conference championship i think it's a ton to ask for this team to go out and win a national championship and i don't mean i don't think that they are lacking talent but a lot of it's going to determine how quickly everything comes together you know and and i think we'll know pretty quickly I have a good idea pretty quickly of like what the best rotation looks like. Probably gonna be a deal where they start the season playing ten, eleven players, but by the end of it, they're playing seven to eight to nine, maybe. Or maybe they stick around and, and have a couple of players who are again, they carve out those niches and, and play a little bit of bigger roles. But I look at this team and think I think there's a shot that they're a Final Four Elite Eight kind of team. I think Elite Eight probably more likely. But there's a lot of really talented teams in this country um, this year, and Oregon is a relatively inexperienced group here. I mean, they've got – I mean, <laughs> Aaron Boley started a bunch of games. Nobody else on this team has really ever started. I think Taylor has started like three games last year when Satu Saboli was playing internationally. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of starting experience to, to really to be had. And Taylor Mikesell was a arguably the best player on Maryland's team last year, which was a number one seed – or would have been a number one seed out of the Big Ten won that conference so like there's certainly like it's not like they're inexperienced but i just think it's a lot to ask for them to come out or a lot to expect i guess for fans to think they're going to go out and be final four bust i think that's probably pushing a little bit but compete for a conference championship get into the big dances maybe uh you know again i don't know how the seating is going to play out but as a top three seed and then kind of go from there final four seems a little bit lofty winning a national championship seems probably even more lofty to me
1: It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Autos podcast, previewing both the men and the women's basketball seasons. Hopefully you guys are excited as Eric and I are to cover this season. We'll have full coverage of the year on duckterritory.com. Eric will be in attendance for Saturday's home game against the women, uh, the women against Seattle. Um, I will be covering a men's game potentially this weekend. Don't know where it's at. Don't know who it's against, but (laughs) apparently there's a game potentially this weekend. Uh, We'll see what happens there. Uh, and you can read all our coverage on DuckTerritory.com with a VIP membership. And right now, we're offering 75% off an annual membership, $26.85 for your membership. So, thank you for listening to this one-off podcast on the basketball preview show. We'll get more co- more coverage on the men and the women on the podcast here in the coming days, weeks, months as the season kicks off. And as always, we'll talk to you very shortly. Getting you ready for the game, formerly known as the Civil War. From a football perspective, Oregon goes to Oregon State this weekend. So we'll talk to you soon. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk
0: to you later, folks. You ready? Go. Mission
1: Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Hang on. It's off the chart spectacular.